What's good, fam? Ryan Rosillo live from Denver. It's from my hotel room. I'm not going to tell you which hotel, although I don't really think it'd be that big of an issue. Although, maybe some 20-somethings would come by and ask if I want to drink Jägermeister in the afternoon. You know what? I don't. So, I'm not going to say which hotel, although, as I say, it's like, oh, I'm such a big deal, I'm not telling you. I realize for the most part, no one cares. So, not a big deal. Got here um, yesterday, had my first earthquake Wednesday night in L.A., Manhattan Beach. It's a weird feeling, Saruti. I don't really know what to tell you. It's it's not scary. It's just unsettling. When it's your first one, you go, what the hell was that? And you go, was that actually it? Was that an earthquake? And then you Google earthquake. Science is great nowadays. And it just tells you, yeah, epicenters, gardenia, 2-6. I know some people out there are going, 2-6, come on, wake me up when you get to a 4. You know what? I don't want to be that guy. And you probably shouldn't either. But uh, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling that people on Twitter, and I started noticing, you know, friends of mine that live in the area, we're like, hey, was earthquake, earthquake, earthquake? You're like, yep, Google it. Speaking of L.A., great time to uh, come visit because I'm doing a live show. Here's the big announcement, and we have all these big announcements for you. We have two big announcements for you. The first one is the Rosillo Show podcast with Saruti. It's going to be live from Shark's Cove right on Manhattan Beach Boulevard down the street from where I live. And I couldn't be more fired up about this. I'm going to have buddies from college, buddies from home flying in for this. It's going to sell out. And so Eventbrite, if you Google Rosillo Show on Eventbrite, Srudy, that's how you'll be able to find a way to buy tickets, correct? Yeah, just go to Eventbrite and search Rosillo. It's the easiest okay. way to do it. That's the easiest way. I will have the information also pinned on my Twitter feed, which is at Ryan A. Rosillo. And so I'll just keep that up there pinned for a while. Um, I have a couple surprise guests lined up. I'm not going to be able to get into the guest names. You're just going to have to trust me on this thing. Uh, there'll be a cash bar. I might try to work out something for you guys so that it doesn't feel like the cheapest wedding you've ever been to, but I'm also not picking up the tab for everybody showing up either because that would get absurd. Um, but I'm pumped up about this. So if you haven't been, if you're in the area, like I imagine it's going to be mostly people that are in the area, but it's an awesome venue. If you don't know about it, the venue is perfect because the seating's great, TV's going to be everywhere, and then you pop, you just look outside and the water and the pier is right there. So there were some talks about doing it in one other place, but size-wise it wasn't going to work out. I think Shark's Cove is perfect for it. And those guys, my brother's DJed there a couple times. So it's, uh, it's, I can't tell you how pumped up I am about this. The other thing I'm really excited about, SVP and Rosillo, the relaunch. Everybody's doing that relaunch thing on TV shows. Why not do it with a radio show? Our new podcast starts Monday. I'm flying back to Connecticut from Denver to go tape that with Scott. And we're excited. So that's going to be the new deal. We're going to do that. It'll probably be out Monday night, maybe Tuesday morning. Scott and I getting back together and doing uh, the podcast. So I know he's really excited about it too. And we're going to run it through the summer, and then we'll uh, we'll see what happens. So that's good stuff. Okay, let's get a couple reads in, and then I'm going to break down in-depth. Best in-depth breakdown, you're going to get a game one. I don't know. That's probably overselling it a bit. My thoughts on Toronto, some of the free agent stuff that's happening, the Houston stuff, a couple of the names and then a little bit on the Lakers, which I probably won't be able to help myself, and I'll keep talking about it, because the Lakers story, you know what it's like. It's just like Mace. We don't stop. We don't stop. Okay. Did you get that reference, Rudy? Uh, no, sorry. I thought you were going to say welcome back. I'm not a big Mace guy, sorry. Not many people are. It was a short window. Mace Sat was- next to him, stood next to him at a live show, and he did a medley of four songs, ten minutes, bounced. Oddly enough, when we were doing the All-Star show, um, it was in Miami, I think I saw Mace at Live that night. Yeah, that's where I saw him. 
right? He was. Oh, that's right. You, no, oh, yeah, that's right. I was. I was with DJ Hookie. That's right. You had cooler connections than we did. We were pretty far away, uh, ordering yeah. like thirty dollar vodka sodas, which it was wasn't aggressive. Liv. Liv was. Uh, which yeah, one was it? It was. It was uh, I think it was Story. Sure? No, wasn't I'm it? pretty sure it was Liv. Because no, it definitely wasn't Liv. Because we were staying and I was staying in Fountain Blue, and I got a DJ Hookie. This is a total name drop story. He picked me up with his car and we drove it's further it's further down the beach and then you guys came in and i was in the dj booth yeah we could see so you all in the, same the cool night. vip section right. and we yeah. were all just like okay cool should we text Rosillo to try to get in or should we, do we want to blow up his vibe and we decided you no we'll just you try to let you do your thing nobody was in there <laughs> it like, was I pretty empty even, i think even who kid was like wait a minute is this Rosillo guy a loser <laughs> i thought he said he had friends and now I'm he's just sure watching me DJ. Because that everyone was like, "Oh, it this wasn't." It was like he partied, you know, after their first championship. No. And I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Like that's the only thing I care about. Because I'm, I'm telling you, it guy. wasn't Liv because Liv is in the hotel that we were staying in, and it was being remodeled. Oh, at man. The time. All right. Yeah. Damn. So all right, Sedano. I don't know down. if it was Dream. Is it Dream or was it? I don't know. But it wasn't Liv. All right. That's well, all I guess I, I've been lying for the past two years. That's all right. It's still a good story. Palenka wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Alarm. The Willies, the heebie-jeebies, panic. There are dozens of words for fear, but just one for an exceptional home security company to stop fear at your front door. That's Simply Safe. Simply Safe is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. This is award-winning 24-7 protection that protects your home through it all, through blizzards, blackouts, and burglars. Simply Safe has won awards from all the tech experts that count. The Verge calls it the best home security. It's one reader's choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice and a wire cutter top pick. Simply Safe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gutches, and they always keep prices fair and honest. Thanks to Simply Safe, fear has no place in a place like home. Try Simply Safe with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial to order now and have your home protected within a week. Go to simplysafe.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to get started today. That's simplysafe.com slash Ryan. Be sure to go there and say that we sent you so that they know. Again, simplysafe.com slash Ryan. The Golden State thing, as much as I believe in this team, as much as I always expect them to figure things out, even with this Durant thing looming, which we still don't really know what the hell's going on, because once he traveled to Toronto, it's like, oh, this is going to work, and then people looking at him before game one are like he's limping still. So the reports were that he's not even coming back for game two, but it became... It became kind of weird, and like the people after the Portland series were going, "Well, they'll just go ahead and sweep Toronto." Now, I, I didn't, I didn't really understand that at all. Uh, Toronto's good. We're going to get to some of my Toronto stuff here in a second, but I think Anthony Slater had the quote on the Athletic that I was reading this morning, going through all the different recap stuff, where one Warriors player—he didn't want to name the player because it was talking about gambling—but it was a two seventy-five odds for Golden State, so to bet. You, to win a hundred, you had to bet two seventy five on Golden State to win the series. And one player told him in this piece, he said, "Quote: Why the bleep are we such big favorites?" So, for Toronto to win Game One, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm shocked. I have Golden State in six, and I just—I'll be honest. Like I felt like I did that kind of as a respect to Toronto, but then realizing maybe Toronto could pull this thing out, even though there are a bunch of things in Game One that I think are worth kind of recapping. So I want to start there recapping all that stuff. 
Start of the game, Golden State sending two at Kawhi, keeping the second guy up. So any action with Kawhi where there was a screen, a second defender, the second, the second defender was going to stay with Kawhi. They did a really good job of Kawhi. And in the first stoppage, you could see, soccer term, you could see Kawhi, he was away from his bench, and he bent over and looked like he was laboring. Now, I do think that those first four or five minutes of live NBA Finals action are exhausting when you haven't played, especially for Golden State nine games, Toronto those four games. Like If you haven't played high-level intensity basketball for long stretches, which both teams haven't, those first few minutes are just kind of wild. They're just like you get you get tired so fast, even though it's not like you're out of condition. You just it's different. It's just different, and you could see it immediately on the floor. And things were a little clunky, even though the scoring wasn't terrible in the first quarter for both teams. It was a little clunky, but I was worried about Kawhi just in general. Going, is this somebody? Because even here's how great Kawhi is. His style of play is so unique and so under control, and his pace is probably as good as any star. Uh, in today's game, even if he's a little limited physically, you're not always going to notice it, and you're certainly not going to notice it from his production because his production was incredible against Milwaukee, even though after game three, people were like, oh, he's spent. I'm like, okay, but he's finding ways to get this done. So I liked what Golden State did against Kawhi, but he, you knew at some point he was going to figure it out, and we saw this with Steph in that first finals with him in 2015. Cleveland keeps two up. They trap him every time. Then he starts to figure it out midway through the series. Okay, as soon as they send this to me, I got to do this. I got to get the ball out. The second guy has to make a quick decision. And that's how Golden State ended up winning that series four years ago. Um, when I look at Gasol as that outlet, you know, the big that comes up, like Marcus Gasol is built for getting the basketball off the double team and then Marcus Gasol making a quick decision. And if no one's going to guard Marcus Gasol like they didn't in the first quarter, he's going to take those shots, even though the scouting report would probably be that he's just a very reluctant shooter. He was uh, at the end of that Milwaukee series, absolutely. So I don't know if Golden State had some sort of like video scouting hangover and, and not understanding that Gasol was going to go ahead and take some shots. Siakam had a couple drives against Draymond where Draymond has so many times during games where he impresses me, whatever his core strength is. Like, Ennis Canner couldn't back up Draymond. There are times where Draymond gets a guy that looks so much bigger than him, and you realize, like, you can't move Draymond. And Siakam had a couple drives where he wanted to, like, turn, and he turned the wrong way, and it looked a little predictable, and you're going, all right, this is going to work. Or it completely worked. Because Siakam ends up going 14-17, and then I think Draymond got totally freaked out because Siakam had already figured him out. What Siakam did in that game, not just the stats, not for him to go off like that, not to be even that efficient and to be killing it in transition, but Siakam, in just a few minutes of the game, figured out, this isn't going to work against Draymond. Let me try these other things. And I think it freaked Draymond out completely. Curry got his butt kicked in this game. And I know it may not seem that way because he got a ton of calls. He got his 30-plus. But if you watch some of the stuff, and it wasn't like the typical Houston clutching thing that you see, and there was some of that. But watch Curry, and especially watch for Lowry. When Curry goes up for a rebound, Lowry killed him a couple times. There was one where I thought Curry was actually hurt. So this was a game where there were some drives where I thought maybe Curry could have gotten the call. Curry doesn't seem to ever get that call on drives where it goes up and there's contact. I mean, in comparison to other stars. So this isn't about officiating, even though, you know, look, I thought there was a couple calls at the end of the game, but that's not why Toronto won. Toronto won because Siakam was insane, Van Vliet was really good, even though Kawhi wasn't what you would think. He figured things out because Seoul was terrific, and they played much better defense than Golden State did. So there was nothing 
fluky about Toronto winning game one. I'm just pointing out some of these little things. Go up and watch Curry when he tries to get a rebound and look at some of the stuff. And Lowry does this to a lot of different guys because Lowry's really smart in knowing what kind of physical play he can get away with. And if there's a shot that's far away from the hoop, not all three refs are going to be looking under there. And if you can go ahead and get a hit on a guy before the ball's even near the rim and you clean him out, it's not always going to get called. So I thought that happened a couple times there with Curry. Uh, Kerr was adamant about their transition defense being a little bit better. Gasol staying on the court for 30 minutes and not getting run off when they decided to go with Jordan Bell to try to find a way to expose their big like the Warriors have done basically against all the bigs in all of these playoff series so far. Uh, that didn't happen with Gasol. So I think you have to feel great if you're Toronto. I don't think I understood this overwhelming Golden State's going to run them out of the building even without Durant stuff. But for the mood swings that we have with every NBA playoff season where it's, man, nobody's beaten Golden State. And you're like, well, could think about this. Even if Golden State lost game two and Golden State won game three at home, how would you feel about the series of Golden State's going into game four at home with a win and the series at 2-1? Are you going to be shocked if Golden State gets back in and takes care of this thing? And as much as the 3-1 jokes are never going to go away from 2016, we've seen times... Where people look, people wanted to count out Golden State because they blew a lead against the Clippers this playoff season. Forget Memphis years ago, or coming back three one against Oklahoma City, or what they had to do against Houston. Not just this year, but more importantly, last year, Golden State has found a way to respond. And the crazy thing, Sarudi, and I'm going to let you jump in here, is that it was ninety eighty six. Every time I kept thinking Toronto's just better than them. Some of the shots they're making, their depth is better. There doesn't seem to feel like there's a real consistent flow to what um, Golden State's doing offensively, and a lot of that was Toronto's defense, and sometimes it was just guys cutting and then not knowing what to do or not knowing when to take the shot. There was some just out-of-sortsness to Golden State's offense. But Cousins went to the line down 90-86. If he makes both free throws, they're down two with like a full fourth quarter to play. And Toronto, every time they got tested, would get it back to seven, get it back to eight. And that usually doesn't ever happen against Golden State. And that's, I think, probably the most important, impressive thing out of the whole deal. And even with Cousins back, that's why I felt like it's really a non-factor either way. If he's back, fine. It's another body to throw out there. He's always been passive with Golden State this year, especially offensively. It's tough for him to be passive in game one. A ton of credit for him to getting back out there, but... I think you've got, you got to see more loony than Cousins if Cousins is going to be passive and just a little out of it, which, you know, not it's not entirely surprising when you've missed this much time with this injury and you're trying to get back out there. But it wasn't great from him, and it's kind of a continuation of what you've seen from him offensively this season. So that's where I'm at, at least right now. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of with you, and I, I'm you know when when there was a three point game late, I mean, I think everyone watching was like, all right, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and the Raptors did an incredible job of kind of just keeping that cushion the entire time, which is usually not what happens, especially in the third quarter against the Warriors. And, I mean, I, I don't... That, but the only thing that I'm thinking is, like, okay, is how, can they replicate that? Are they going to be able to replicate Siakam, like, just absolutely, like you said, like, basically manhandling and changing his approach to Draymond? Like, I can't imagine that's going to happen twice in a row to Draymond. Like, he's just that... It's, he'll get thrown out of the game before that happens again. And then... You know, that was really impressive, though, wasn't it? It was. I mean, to see, I, I, see Occam go, oh, wait a minute. Now, you can't. It was like with some of those quick turning moves where it looked like it was, none of it was going to work. Yeah, like you go, wow, Draymond had, 
Like Draymond had no clue what the hell was going on on that one. There was so one where he, yeah, he was back. I forget when it was. He was backing him down, and he clearly wasn't going to beat him with strength. And he just does this quick little hesitation move, goes left, and then you know lays it right in. And Draymond's like, "Whoa! Like I didn't even know you had that in the back." He didn't, Draymond didn't even get up to contest it. It yeah. was so quick. I think it was like a drop step left, and then turned back to his right shoulder and finished. Finished. Uh, he finished left. So like. It's jab, step, left, and then you turn around, and then you finish left. I don't know. I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my but head. It's, it's one of those things, Warriors. Sean McVay right. over here. It's ten days off. It's you know. I'm not saying that's the reason, but you know, you've got you've got guys on the Raptors like hitting absurd layups. They're getting like tip ins that are going in. Van Vliet hits the shot off the wrong foot that hits the rim like nine times and drops. And I know he's been hot for a while now, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised anymore. But I don't know. Three straight games. No, I know, this. I know. But I mean, you're at some point you're gonna you're gonna regress to the mean, right? And 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 you know, I, clearly, I think the strategy for Golden State was that they're not gonna let they're not gonna let uh, Kawhi beat him by himself. But uh, that that injury thing to him is weird because he didn't look fully healthy either. Um, and I, the, the injury to Iguodala to me is, I mean, if he's if massive, he's, yeah, if he's hobbled. I don't. I mean, I don't think they can do it without Iguodala. I think they could do it without Durant. But if they if they're if they're down another guy, because I'm with you, I'm not sure what you can expect from Boogie. I'm even just from a game shape kind of thing. Um, if they're without Iguodala, I don't know how they do it. Wait a minute. So you think even if they got Durant back game three? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no and this is this is this is assuming this is all that, without this is, Durant. Yeah, this is without. Right. I'm I'm, okay. I'm assuming right. Durant's We're on the not same playing. Page. Yeah. yeah, I'm just assuming he's not playing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know if they know. I really don't. I mean, if I'm Durant and they're down 2-1 or 3-2 or whatever, like, you know, I'm screaming to come back and be the savior, right? Yeah, if you're close and you get out there and play. You know, one of the big positives, I think, for Toronto was I was surprised defensively. You know, I expected, okay, here we go again. It's going to be sellout against Steph and Clay, and they're not going to close out on any of the other guys. They contested and, and closed out, even when the guys didn't have the basketball, more than I thought they would on the non, you know, the quote-unquote non-shooters on Golden State. So... You know, the rotation's going to be like, I thought Jarebko was a mess. And, you know, Quinn Cook's going to hit. I feel like he's always the guy that hits the big three at like four minutes left, but he's not going to hit the one with less than two minutes <laughs> yeah. left. I just think the league Honestly, is full of, full of those count guys. count on that guy anyway. No, and, you know, his his three-point shooting's fine. And McKinney has some moments every now and then. But I think what you've learned throughout all of this is that Kerr, especially when you look at what he did minutes-wise in game six at Houston, and some of the stuff at Portland, like he's not afraid to just throw some dudes out there. And I think that's what he's trying to find with Cousins. And maybe the Cousins thing is because they know Durant isn't coming back. But I, as much as I go like, okay, Golden State should feel good about a couple different things. I was surprised. Like I think Toronto can be even better defensively. I was surprised their game plan seemed to be, let's stay honest with some of the other people that teams generally completely ignore. Let's talk a little bit about Toronto Raptors fans. I had a really good year this year. Some years I don't. But when it comes to like the basketball stuff, I've had a really good year. I should probably tweet about it more. I should yell and scream and go on TV shows and tell everybody how awesome I am. But I just expect people to pay attention. I'm not asking for a ton of credit for picking Golden State Toronto before the season started on this podcast. But I'd like a little recognition from the mouthy Raptors people on social media. Now, I know it's not all of you. We know how great Toronto is. Met some people from Toronto recently. Couldn't have been nicer. But some of the mouthy people on Twitter make Raptors fans maybe one of the three worst NBA fan bases going. Pick somebody else, Toronto. Pick someone else to go at about being disrespected in your incredibly sensitive, narcissistic world. 
Like, you think America's against you? Who's America supposed to root for? The team from Canada? And the thing is, you probably have more Americans rooting for you in this finals because of anti-Golden State stuff than you would have in any other normals finals matchup. Unless maybe it was the Knicks or the Celtics there for the fifth straight year. I bet you there are more Americans rooting for a Toronto team because of Golden State. I picked you to go to the finals. I didn't want a ton of credit throughout the entire season because I felt like I was doing it. As I even admitted, I just don't want to be another guy picking Boston. But after game five of the second round against the Sixers, I went on first take and said Toronto's the best team in the East and they're going to win this series. They're going to beat Philadelphia. I know that series could have gone either way in game seven, but I said it. And against Milwaukee, after game two, I stuck with it. And part of that was like, look, this was my prediction, but I don't think there's that big of a gap. I thought game two in the Eastern Conference Finals was a little misleading. And game four, when Kawhi was hurt, and it was the double overtime win, and everybody was writing off Toronto, I did not write Toronto off. So again, Toronto fans, again, mouthy, not the entire city, but mouthy, annoying, guys that stick up for Kyle Lowry as if you're going to argue Kyle Lowry's a top five point guard if he's on another team next year, which I cannot wait for. If Lowry were to be on another team, maybe he won't be because of the success of the team this entire year. Will that Raptors fan that feels like Lowry's disrespected because he's never mentioned in the top five, hell, he might not even be top ten. Um, you know, I can't wait if he's on another team for you to argue how good he actually still is because you're not going to. So pick a different guy from the States that talks about the NBA for a living when you're talking about your Raptors being disrespected. Because I doubt you could find another person from the States that has been this respectful the entire season. All entirely fair. And I couldn't have been as right about this. Like, the only thing I was more right than maybe was about Boston. And other than Boston fans saying, I never understood why you would doubt this team, and then never said a word after they got worked by Milwaukee, None of you guys said a word like, hey, you know what? You were right. You were right. You just didn't believe in them, even though the stats said that they were good, and even though Kyrie had this statistical career year. You were not one of you guys from Boston has said a word to me that was like, you know what? You ended up kind of calling this all season long. Like, why was I supposed to like Boston? Because they made a freaking video? Because their third guard, fourth guard maybe, went on first take one day and said, I need more touches? Terry Rozier's a, a third guard on a really good team. So, you know, again, the Celtics were the most delusional basketball team, not just of this year, but of, of the last few seasons. I've, I've never seen a group of players more delusional the entire time. And yes, Raptors fans, you are, Bucks fans are nasty. Jazz fans can be nasty. Kobe fans, it's not Lakers fans. Kobe fans are nasty, but I've had it with some of you because again, the track record speaks for itself. Very few people were a support of the entire time. Are they approaching like Ohio State football territory mm-hmm. fan base wise? It's that bad. It's not, okay, it's we close. got ways to go. Okay. Yeah, I have some ground to make up. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Florida State Twitter a few years ago was pretty bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was weird for me though because I was working with their guy and Danny, Danny would just kind of, he knew Florida State Twitter was out of control. He was afraid of Florida State Twitter. So he just sort of went along for the ride for a while. He would just be like, look, I don't, I don't want to deal with these people. And he's like, I can't. I'm one of them. I do hate watching Kyle Lowry play basketball though. I hate it. I hate it so much. He's dirty. He flops. The first play of the game chucks it out of bounds. I'm like, here we go. He wasn't good last night at all. Um, and he's been better. This has been a nice playoff rejuvenation for him. 
it doesn't mean that it erases all of the years that he was bad, which is what a thing. And it's not, that's not even specific to Raptors fans. That's something people do all the time. Like, Oh, remember when you said, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good example. Like this year, if the Browns are good, remember all those years you guys were knocking the Browns? Yeah. When they sucked. Yeah. Well, I do remember it because they were terrible. They're a bad organization and now they're better. And that's awesome. Both things are true. I've never quite understood the whatever just happened erases all the stuff that's actually on the resume of the player or the team. So that's my little Toronto ra- uh, rant. Oh, man, I can't leave out Drake. Uh-oh. Let's not turn this into another example of society's oppression on man because that's getting tired too. Your Drake think pieces suck, and it's pretty obvious what's going on. As I said before, Drake is fun. It's cool when it comes on. I don't think anybody doesn't have a smile on their face, but the front row act is about him. It's about him being noticed. It's about him seeing what he can get away with. And yes, there's a line that can be crossed where the NBA goes, you know what, we don't need this necessarily where there's celebrity fans feeling like they're pushing the limits of what they can get away with as far as their interaction through a game. So when the NBA is like, yeah, we talked to the Raptors about it, that's how things get handled. That's why massive corporations are sticklers about things where they don't want to allow any leeway because then they don't want everyone in a cubicle coming up and saying, well, what about Doug and how come Steve and what about Todd and all these different things. They go, you know what, you just want to shut it down across the board. So it felt like Drake was more reserved in game one. I felt like there were easily less camera shots of him. Uh, I thought that was pretty obvious that it seemed like the camera wasn't on Drake as much. He did have a little John back and forth with uh, Draymond, which is totally fine and that's fine with it. But then when it becomes a... Drake is good for the league, and here's why, you know, old, it'll always be like, old men that don't get it, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, dude, the guy has a tattoo of Curry and Durant on his arm. I mean, do you know how, like, I shouldn't have to say anything else about it ever. That'd be like if Spike Lee, and he took his shirt off, and you didn't realize that he had like a Havlicek, you know, Havlicek's like face on on his back shoulder. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's weird. Like, why would Spike Lee have that? Again, Drake had to cover it with a sweatband. I was explaining to my buddies last night in Denver. They're like, wait a minute, no. They're like, that's not true. That's Photoshop. And I was like, no, no, it's real. He has the Curry Durant numbers on his on his arm, and he covered it. <laughs> again, again, I mean, that's it. That's the game. That's the game winner. I know that's your dude. Views from the six. Yeah, listen. But... but- I'm, I'm, I will not even, I'm not, I'm not, I will not be swayed on my opinion on this. No, and I think I'm with you. I, I don't, I, I, as I said last week, I don't think it's cool. I don't, I wouldn't do it myself, but I, I don't really have an issue with it. And I don't care about the attention because I do think that it's, it's, it, I think it is good for the league. I think it's good for the Raptors. I think it just makes them more interesting. And that's, and like I said, he looks like a, he looks like a fool half the time. I mean, the idea that he's yelling, you're trash to Draymond coming off the court is absurd. Um, because he's probably gonna like hang out with those dudes like in a month. But I don't know. This is also a guy that probably has like a team hoodie of like the other twenty nine teams in his closet. Like it just he's a fair weather fan. That's what he does. And you know he happens to be from Toronto, so he's gonna rep them a little bit harder than everybody else. That's fine. Yeah, I don't have right, an issue right. with it. He's it's, he's not hurting anybody, but he's going out there and he's looking like a fool. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it just it's funny how I think anytime there's any pushback on. I don't know if it's fame. I don't know. I don't know what category of person that you have to be. But then all these people jump to like write these articles of, of why it's like some form of oppression or it's like, Oh, you don't get it. 
you don't get it. Like, yeah, actually, dude, I think I get it. He has tattoos of the two best players on the other team. And you want me to take this guy totally seriously? Like, I'm not. I mean, that's why people get courtside seats that are famous. Because they want to stay famous. Now, Drake's not going to have to worry about that because the music thing's going pretty well. Like, I think he'd still be pretty famous without the courtside seats. But if you can't tell that is this entirely, it's just this, it's like premeditated act of engagement the entire time. Like, I'm going to show everybody how into this I am. It, it, it almost reminds me of, like, the guy who's on a a bachelor party trip and, like six of the guys really are into this football game and the seventh guy you know isn't, but then he get a, gets a couple beers in him and he just doesn't want to feel left out. So you're in Vegas, you're at the sports book, you've got your little section and the six of you like grew up rooting for this team. And however, there's always a weird mix when a guy who's not like one of the core guys is at the bachelor party and he starts high fiving you after touchdowns and like he's more into it. He's showing you how into it he is by being even more into it than any of you six guys. And you realize like 24 hours ago, he couldn't name anybody on the team. That's straight. That's all. It's a pretty good analogy. I, I was going to say he's kind of like, you know, he, he was kind of like me, like late high school, early college, where like, yeah, you just, you just like want to be overhyped guy for every little thing. And it's just like, at some point you look back and you're like, yeah, that's kind of a weird look. Probably should have calmed down. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Like maybe I should have held myself to a higher standard, but he's, I don't know. He's, I, it just doesn't bother me. So that's the end of the world. I, that, that's why I, for people that it bothers, I, that I don't understand that at all. Yeah. The Rosillo Show podcast is brought to you by Burrow, makers of clever furniture designed for real life. And if your real life is like our real life, you're set to spend a lot of time spent on the sofa in the next few months. Because as nice as it is to see a baseball game, it's much better to see it in air-conditioned comfort. I have one of the sofas, okay? It's awesome. And it seems like they did some stuff that other people just didn't do. Like, hey, let's put a charger in it. Let's measure out the leg so it's the perfect height for most everyone. Taco Fall might have an issue. He might have to get an extra um, couple inches thrown on that. But you know what? Taco Fall can worry about that a little bit later. The clever design means it's easy to set up. You can get it up the steep staircases, which happened to me on another couch that I had to give away because I just couldn't fit it up my staircase. Not the case with Burrow. Uh, you get it through the narrow doorways. It's easy to set up, easy to move, and even means you can add or remove seats as needed. That's the other cool part about it. You can design the whole thing and match it up and be like, you know, this is going to work. It features naturally scratch and stain-resistant fabric, sturdy hardwood frames, and soft, non-toxic foam cushions. There's a built-in USB charger because Burrow knows the sofa always blocks the most convenient wall outlet. It's totally customizable, so you can pick one of five fabric colors, three leg finishes, two armor styles, any length. You can even add a chase lounge or ottoman. One week shipping is always free and Burrow stands by their furniture with a risk-free 30-day return period. It's time to upgrade your sofa to one that actually stands up to your lifestyle. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one week shipping. Some of these places you buy sofa from, you're like, oh, this is the sale, this is the deal, the whole deal. Oh, and by the way, like shipping is a one-time $299, $399 deal. Not the case with Burrow. You can go ahead and get that done right now by visiting Burrow.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's Burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash Russillo for $75 off a new sofa. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. Okay, uh, two other quick things. The Rockets wanting to trade everybody. That was something Woj had. I don't know that they need to. So I felt like this got a little overblown, like, okay, now we have a report. It's Woj, so we know it's good. And it's also Daryl, who's as bold as anybody. But do the Rockets need to if we all think Durant is gone, which we all do? And that's the thing I would caution 
Houston with. And it's clear there's a disconnect there with ownership and D'Antoni wanting an extension, now saying he's totally fine without an extension. Apparently they want to do an incentive-based extension. And Warren Legary, who reps D'Antoni, who is this kind of behind-the-scenes total Don guy who just runs things. And like real NBA people know who he is, and he doesn't really talk to anybody. And he, you know, that was it. That was like an incentive-based contract. You want me to start some sort of um, standard here? Like, we don't want to set any kind of precedent for having this kind of thing happen. And I don't know if that's an anti-D'Antoni thing because his resume in Game 7s, you know, all this stuff. But I actually don't know that Houston needs to change it a ton unless you're looking at Chris Paul's $120 million coming him over the next three years going, we actually just want to get off of this contract. So the question I'd ask is if you're blowing this up and starting to build it around Harden again, which is what you'd be doing, right? Do you know that with Chris Paul's contract that you're getting back pieces that actually make you more competitive for next year? Especially when, like, none, no one should look at this Houston thing the last two years as a failure. You shouldn't. They lost to Golden State. Golden State, even if they lose this final series, is going to go down as one of the best teams in NBA history with this run. They just are. And, Houston can't beat them. No one else seems to be able to except Cleveland once, and maybe it's going to be Toronto. And I wouldn't be in a hurry to tear this thing down, knowing that if I'm moving Paul's contract, I doubt I'm getting a player back that actually makes us better for next year, even though Paul looks to be a diminished version of himself and is probably only going to continue to age poorly as a small guard who's spent a lot of time on the ground, has had his injury histories, and is owed that kind of money. Now, does Capella, Paul, Gordon do all these different things? Is there some sort of amazing package you can spin it all into where Houston looks even better? I'm not saying it's impossible, but when you're moving that kind of money and you think of what Paul can be when he's healthy still at this stage, I don't know if the player you're getting back is somebody that's going to just make you better on paper unless you feel like, okay, well, we take a step back to have the flexibility moving forward. And, yeah, Daryl's a really bold guy, but it also – you know, Daryl's rep, and he even laughs about this, is that he, he makes some of the worst trade offers ever. As far as, like, GMs around the league, where they're like, cool, Daryl's calling again to try to, like, <laughs> hey, would you take, you know, how do you feel about, I'm trying to think of something funny here. Like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, some of the trade offers over the years are just well, so bad. To, I mean, who's like, going to hey, want like, that contract? Who's going to, who's going to, what are you going to get back that's better than Chris Paul getting off that contract. Aren't you going to have to just take on awful, you know, more awful contracts or worse players? Like, I don't understand how you get better doing that. That's my whole point is I, I don't, I don't think you would at least for the year unless their thing is we'll, we'll at least be in play for some things in two years. And I also think it's just sort of like, Hey, this is on the table, but I think this would have been on the table without the report either. Anyway, like, I don't think Daryl was going to go in an off season saying, I don't want to change anything or I don't want to at least kick the tires on changing everything. The one thing that I think is worth bringing up is, would the Lakers do it if they felt like they were going to swing and miss on everyone? Right? If they were going to, if they couldn't even get Kyrie, if they couldn't get Jimmy Butler, if the Anthony Davis trade isn't going to happen, Durant's not going to go play with them. I don't think Kawhi wants to go play with them. I'm not sure about the Kawhi thing because I can tell you just based on all the conversations I had with people around the league last year and the, and the conversations I'm having now, the players LeBron preferred last summer versus the players LeBron's like more than happy to welcome to Lakerland. It's a big change. Like, there were guys last year where it's like, I don't know if LeBron wants to play with Kawhi. I don't know if he wants to play with Jimmy Butler. I don't know if he wants to play with this guy. Everybody's accepted into the University of LeBron now. 
everybody's like, man, I got in too. Like, you did? Yeah, I just got my papers. Yeah, that's crazy. I got accepted. I, I did awful on my SATs. Yeah, I don't know. They let me in. So if they struck out on everybody, would the Lakers say, hey, we don't really like any of our young guys, and we got to pay all these guys pretty soon anyway, and our our medicals are – like we're doing one of those medical things. We're like, actually, Chris Paul is not that bad because we just want the trade to happen so badly. That would be the thing that would – it would make some sense – I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened, but that would also mean that Daryl would really have to like Lonzo or maybe he really likes Brandon Ingram. I don't think he's going to get the fourth pick. I don't think you get the fourth pick in a trade where you're taking back Chris Paul's $120 million. I mean, that would be a non-starter. If I'm Palenka, although who knows what Palenka would do. Palenka's like, this reminds me of the first time I sailed with Christopher Columbus and we were low on produce and... That was when we visited Jamaica and discovered it. I'm like, wait a minute, what year was that? Um, I just, you know, maybe Polinka would say, I don't think, I don't think any GM, I don't think every GM would be like, look, if I'm taking back 120 and a guy who's hurt and Chris Paul, I'm not, I'm not giving you the fourth pick in the draft. So that's a non-starter. Pick some of the players. Can I, I the one thing that I'm confused about in this whole Rockets thing is the D'Antoni slander, though. You know, they, they very, I know there's a bunch of people that think that they're trying to make him resign and they don't want him and they don't want to fire him. But, like, at the end of the day, like, all this whole thing of, like, oh, D'Antoni's a disappointment. He can't win the big game. Like, who, they were clearly not the better team in really any of these playoff go arounds, specifically with him with the Rockets. Like, he, they were punching above their weight, right? So this idea that, like, they couldn't get past the Warriors and, like, this all time great team and that's some sort of indictment on how good of a coach D'Antoni is, that doesn't make any sense to me. I agree with you. Like, D'Antoni figured out a way to stay competitive with his system with a team that was more talented than him. And that's my whole point. As much as I went on my Rockets rant, and yes, I couldn't stand watching him, you know, sometimes I wondered when we looked at NBA regular season ratings being down, I'd be like, maybe we should stop playing the Rockets all the time. But I respect what they've done. I give credit to what they've done, and that's why I say this is far from a failure. And that's why if I'm Portland, I go, maybe we just are able to add a little piece, have a little bit more health. Like, if I'm those other teams, and it's the same thing in the East, too. If Kawhi leaves Toronto, Kyrie leaves Boston, and Milwaukee just pays a ton of money to the same guys, if I'm Philly, I'd probably bring back Jimmy. But I'm not sure. You know, I would have a hard time not paying Tobias Harris because of what I just gave up for him. Maybe they're just going to pay for all four of those guys. But I think... They need Jimmy Butler, even though Jimmy Butler scares me a little bit. Because in the playoffs, you could see that Jimmy Butler was a dude that wasn't afraid. And Simmons is hit or miss. And Embiid appears to be somebody that they shy away from going to multiple possessions to close out a game offensively in a very tight game. Because he he can get screwed up a little bit with some double teams. And um he can force the issue a little bit and their spacing is always bad. So as I'm saying all these things, like I think it's the same thing for the West and the same thing for the East where I would be reluctant if I was one of the top three or four teams in either conference to completely blow up who I am right now because I perceive, you know, perceive failures or feeling like I have to reset the deck here because the competition around me may be lessened. Like I kind of want Milwaukee, if I'm one of those other teams in the East to just pay Middleton a ton. And so now it's going to be Giannis, Middleton and Bledsoe. And can they keep Brooke Lopez? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep him now, but 
I may go, hey, that's that's pretty good, and maybe they win 60 games, and maybe Giannis takes it to an even another level with his outside shooting, and maybe Milwaukee wins a championship next year, but we don't know. That's a, that's a bunch of ifs, and that's why a lot of this stuff is so unknown, especially with all of these different players and all the different rumors going around. One of the Kyrie rumors that I thought was kind of funny was just the idea that because he's difficult, and he is, and he was somebody that didn't even seem to be bothered after they lost game five. Like, wasn't even bummed out about it. And that's such a bad look. And teams saying, you know, we'd have to kind of reconsider if we want to go. If <laughs> I can't think of a team that had cap space that would go, you know what, we'd rather just not sign Kyrie. We'd rather just not do it. The only scenario I could think of is like if, say, if Kyrie had been a free agent, and this is absurd because it's not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. It's the timeline of it isn't. I understand how contracts work and how young Kyrie is. But if Miami was going, hey, look at these five guys that all want to come here because LeBron, Wade are staying. So who do we want to pick as the third guy? Oh, well, let's pick Bosh instead of these other options that we have. That would be like the only scenario where a team wouldn't sign somebody like Kyrie. So as much as he may have scared people off, and I do think the Lakers thing is very much in play, which is crazy, which makes it only adds to the Kyrie chapters in his life with his personality that be like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I do. Like, even though I want to force a trade away from LeBron, I do. I'd be fine going back there or going to LA and playing with him. So back there to the relationship, not exactly the same city. Yeah, I, if if he goes to LA, I mean. I'd want to see it happen because it would be an interesting humbling experience for Kyrie, and I wonder if he would be able to change in that way, and he'd be like more grateful. But then again, I just I, I don't know. Do you think it would even work? Like, do they have like I don't think that team like do, it, do they like the young guys enough to be like Kyrie, LeBron, and is that enough to really make them interesting in the West? I mean, obviously they would do it in a heartbeat, but I just know where where that necessarily puts them. A healthy Lakers team was still going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think they're going to be a four seed. It'd be hard for me to write off LeBron and Kyrie pairing up again. But, you know, they're going to have to overhaul this thing. And that's why, you know, the Baxter Holmes piece that came out, of all the different interesting pieces, and as I've said a few times, I keep waiting for this Lakers story to end, and it never does. It just doesn't. It's crazy how it never ends. I loved hearing from the coaching staff who said, we were like everybody else, going, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing signing all these guys? Like, why are we signing all these people that can't shoot and then we're giving every basket case left on the free agent market a contract? And it's astonishing. Like, if there was ever a way to go, you know, you should be able to get an A if you sign LeBron in free agency. <laughs> it's like, actually, we're going to we're gonna drop your highest and lowest score. And so we're just going to grade you now on, on Rondo. Beasley probably would have been the lowest score. They paid Beasley more than yeah. they had to pay Brooke Lopez. Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain. Love that nickname. That or Spicy P. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I can get into the, the magic sit down. But it's just funny. Like he, he comes on ESPN now, which is great for ESPN. It's great programming for ESPN to be like, okay, this, this Laker story that won't go away and magic being at the, here, here's the, I think the most important thing that I could take away from when Magic Wars hired, and those of us that kind of knew, being like, okay, well, what kind of role is this going to be? Is it a, is it a is it a figurehead role where he's kind of the ceremonial president of basketball ops, 
but Palinka is going to be the grinder. He has all these other things going on. Can he truly give himself to this role the way you kind of are expected to? Or is everybody on the same page knowing that he's not going to be working the way somebody else would and that they needed a superstar to close deals and a superstar to get meetings with every free agent? And, you know, the early returns were, look, LeBron didn't go there because of magic. I don't think LeBron cared about the magic thing. I don't care. I don't think LeBron cares about the magic thing now. So everything you read about, you know, he needs that repaired. I just don't think LeBron cares. I just don't. So when I look at the criticism of Magic's work ethic in that piece, I don't think that was some big revelation. And at the same time, I don't think that's really even that much of a knock on Magic. I actually feel like that was the expectation of what was going to happen. If you own the Dodgers and you have all these other businesses and you have all this other stuff going on, you're not going to be doing that role the way other guys are doing it. And that's why Palenka is there to be the general manager. You know, looking back at the start of this this whole thing and why it went bad, when you think of it and you go, wait a minute, so Magic and Palenka don't have a relationship. They haven't really worked together that much. They're not on the same page. And they're inheriting a coach that apparently both of them don't really want. And Jeannie was like, I want to keep Magic happy. I want to do this part, but I'm going to listen to Kobe, so I'm going to do the Palenka part. But Luke Walton's part of the Laker family, so I'm going to do this part. I'm going to keep everybody happy. Like, no wonder none of this worked. And the thing is, you could still have this stuff screwed up and still have it work out on the court. Like, not every team has to have streamlined ownership and everybody be on the same page in the front office and love their coach. You can still be successful in this league. It's, it, it can happen. But you make it a lot harder to be successful when you go into it like this. So if I go back to the thing where it's like, okay, we knew Magic wasn't going to work that hard. We knew all of those things ahead of time. So I don't think it's that bad that – like, I'm actually not knocking Magic for that. But then when it turned into when Magic was sitting out there with Stephen A. and Michael Wilbon, and they were like, what is this about you being lazy? And Magic is like, basically, I'm worth $600 million. I've built all these businesses. I've done all these things. No one's ever called me lazy my entire life. And Wilbon and Magic are friends. He calls him Irvin. So that was kind of a weird spot to be like, all right, we're going to have one of his buddies. Imagine if Van Pelt were a GM and you know became a GM of a, of a baseball team, and he was dealing with some controversy, and they decided to have Stanford Steve and I interview him. It would just you would think okay well there's no way these but but I felt like they they thought they were doing Magic a favor when I felt like at the beginning of this whole thing it was like I didn't expect Magic to work that hard anyway so everybody could be right here Magic can be like I didn't do anything wrong okay that's fine on the work ethic part I I don't know enough about whether or not he treated employees poorly I talked to Simmons about it Simmons worked with him for two years he goes I never saw him get on anybody you know off camera we know guys can be tough some people are jerks in this business other people are saints some people who are saints can have a bad moment he was like magic never really never really did anything but maybe magic was in front of other you know big time espn personalities and he wasn't going to do anything where he was difficult or maybe it's somebody who's really sensitive who worked for the lakers and decided to go at magic because they didn't like him and part of this piece i don't know what to believe on that but i thought with it turning into that magic is lazy, I go, I actually think magic was doing the job in the way that I thought the job was described for him. And then maybe Palenka got upset about it anyway. Palenka appears to be the weak link in this entire thing. So uh, I just did way more on the Lakers than I thought I was going to do. So I'm going to stop now. Hey, before we get some of your uh, questions, because I want to remind everybody again, that SPP and Rosillo, the podcast now, we're bringing back the radio show. It's going to be a run where it's just a little bit over the summer and then we're going to see what happens okay so that's that's basically the best way to describe it but i'm flying back to connecticut 
on Monday to go tape with Scott, and we're really excited. So that should be out Monday night or hopefully Tuesday morning, something like that. But want to let you know about the good people at First Leaf. Because when it comes to buying wine, most people's selections have nothing to do with taste. Instead, they base their decisions on which bottle looks the best or what's on sale. Thankfully, now there's First Leaf, the wine club that makes it easy to discover new wines you love. First Leaf has created a club experience customized to you by rating the wines you receive. First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and they only send wines you'll love. Which wine are you on right now, Surdy? Which uh, which is your go-to? Yeah, I'm a big rosé guy. There um, we go. What's up? You know, just living that Rick Ross life. Not afraid. Um you got to do this. You start by taking the First Leaf quiz. It's a wine quiz to assess your exact wine drinking preferences, from sweetness to wine styles to even how adventurous Saruti or I get. In trying new wines, they learn about what you like. First Leaf then created an introductory six-pack of wine for me, for Saruti, all of you guys, for just twenty nine ninety five. Seriously, an introductory six-pack of wine for twenty nine ninety five. These wines normally go for $20 a piece. Think about that. They're able to put together six bottles that you would never be able to figure out on your own. It's almost like a little hobby. It's a hobby for twenty nine ninety five that's going to impress your girlfriend or just your buddies. When the bottles arrive, you taste them, rate them online. First Leaf took the ratings, selected new wines based on my taste, based on Saruti's taste, for the next shipment. Curated shipments keep getting better. So try First Leaf Wine Club today where buying great wine is simple. Sign up with my link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Rosillo. That's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Rosillo. couple quick questions here on the old twitter.com. So here we go. Was there any talk about making a Rosillo an SVP? No, there wasn't. <laughs> there was none. Imagine if you were like, yeah, I'll do it, except my name comes first. Yeah, payback. Uh, actually, the name stuff never had anything to do with Vampel, ever. Ever. So that's a long, boring history where mm, there's, yeah, it had nothing to do with Scott. Is Stankonia still the album of the 2000s? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm more of a speaker box love below guy, but that's because of probably my age. For being honest, Stankonia is—I don't know, man. I, it kind of threw me off right now. I remember there's a there was a CD shop. I miss going to CD places. I miss I miss learning about new music. I guess now it's not that hard. You can just hit shuffle on a playlist. And you'd be good to go. But um, I remember this hippie girl, and she was full-blown, like, string cheese incident type of girl. Just huge dreads. The dreads weighed more than her torso. She couldn't have weighed 80 pounds. She's so little. Dreaded out. Maybe like a prodigy t-shirt on, though, so she had a little edge to her. So she wasn't just straight Mars Hotel. She was rounded out all sorts of ways musically. And I wasn't as like I didn't love the Rosa Parks song, so I didn't get into the first one, um, which is shameful because that one's probably the best one. Elevators and some of the other stuff on that is so freaking good. But if I sound tired, it's because I am. I haven't, I haven't slept in two days, and that's not because I have fun. It's just because I, don't, I can't sleep. Um, <laughs> she comes up and she's like. Oh, Stankonia? I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was 25, 26. 
She's like, that's the new G-Funk of the millennium. I was like, okay, okay. Explosion's my favorite Outkast song ever because I think the verse um, by Big Boy on the beginning of that is incredible. Although, you know what? The body of hot, the motivator of pots, snot spits, <laughs> snot spit are characteristics of a release. Ask your niece or your nephew, think we left you. Uh, that's actually not the line I love. Um, how bad is this podcast getting? <laughs> Pretty bad? Yeah, you know, we'll move on. New question. Yeah. I just really wanted to find this one verse. There's just some brilliant, brilliant stuff in Explosion. But maybe I shouldn't talk about the diamond pistol in his lap and the floor seats or whatever. But that Explosion, go back and listen to Explosion. You've had to listen to Explosion in a while and stay on you. And shout out to the hippie girl. Who knows what she's up to now? The only thing I can, she's probably got two dogs. She's probably got a couple dogs. That's about all I can guarantee about her right now. Do you have any questions about the SVP Rosillo relaunch? Hmm. What old features are we bringing back? Um, if any, no. We were thinking about really stepping it up and going, "Who sucks?" Instead of "Who's the jerk?" "Who's who's the nerd?" Just straight up, just be mean just, to each other. Yeah, just be incredibly mean. But that might go worse. Like if once we got past "Who's the jerk," and there wasn't any residual damage from that, we were afraid. Go. We were really afraid to do "Who's the jerk?" And I even talked about it with my father. He goes, "Do not do this segment." <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think it's going to work, Dad. I do. He goes, no, this is going to go bad. And he goes, and you're going to hold a grudge, and you might even get mm-hmm. hot-headed about it. And he's like, and Scott probably will about something. And then he's like, I really think this is a mistake. And then we even had a moment where it was Ray, Stanford, Steve, and Van Pelt and I. Is there any way we can bring back Who's the Jerk and put it on a podcast? Can we put it on this probably, podcast? Probably, yeah. Yeah, let's see if we can find that. We'll just release a Who's the Jerk episode on, on my podcast. We'll just pod. put it in the feed. Yeah, we'll just put it in the feed. I was thinking about we should do some of that stuff. So we had a moment where we were at, I just, here's the backstory of it. We're at College Station. We we're there for an AM Alabama game. It was, uh, the rematch against Manziel after Manziel had won in Tuscaloosa. And Manziel actually was incredible again, but Alabama was able to hang on. And it was the night before, you know, and before those shows, let's get older. It was like, all right, we're not going to go out. So we had dinner. And I was in the parking lot and I go to Scott. I go, hey, I go, I have this idea for a segment, and I think it's really good. I think it could be really, really good. And what we do is we just say, okay, forget like normal traditional segments. And it was kind of stupid how we used to do radio sometimes where bosses would be like, hey, just make sure when you're doing some kind of segments a little bit different, you know, treetop it. Hey, guys, you know, Golden State down 0-1, you know, will they get Durant back? And, hey, Dietrich is is on, on tear with these home runs and – um, you know, the Jets still interviewing candidates. Okay, so let's just do a segment called Who's a Jerk? I mean, that's really bad radio. It's it's like outdated. It's stupid. It's old radio. It's like worrying about updates. But that's how stuff, like, people used to try to coach you that way. And I'm like, no, no, no. None of this is, it's like Star Wars saying we can't have credits to the opening. Although Who's the Jerk probably wasn't exactly Star Wars. Um, not quite as impactful. But I, I wanted to, I was like, we should all ask each other questions and figure out well, the purpose of the segment is who's the biggest jerk out of the entire group, just based on the stuff, how we carry ourselves every day. So, like, one of the things I knew I was going to ask Stanford Steve was, like, why do you litter? You litter. I think about that all the time. That he litters? Yeah, that he just litters. The other day I was at Equinox out in Manhattan Beach, and uh, a guy 
was parked in the furthest corner back that he could be parked. Beat up car. Guy wasn't in great shape. And the parking equinox can be packed sometimes. So sometimes you have to park all the way in the back. And I'm a big just give up and park far away and get your space instead of driving around the whole time. It's like if you're going to the gym anyway, you can walk for two minutes. It'll be fine. And this dude opens his door, puts down, and he he pounded a couple Chick-fil-A sandwiches and all the sauce packets and a soda, and he put it back into the to-go tray, put it under his car, and drove over it. <laughs> That's how bad he was living. What literate. are we doing? Yeah, so he was. He took his whole Chick Fil A lunch, finished it in the car, and then just set it down underneath him. Closed the door, pulled away, and of course he recognized me. Rolled down his window, was like, "Hey, Rusillo, what's up, man?" <laughs> I was like, "Hey," and I'd seen what he'd just done, and I was like, "I'm not going to say anything because it's just what's going to happen. Nothing, nothing's good. Nothing like this guy doesn't care." And it made me think of Stanford Steve. I've never seen Stanford Steve do that. And I maybe I think he's improved in that regard. What are we talking like? You like on on a road trip, just like a Chick Fil A bag out the window? Like how you know? <laughs> I don't know. Because no, whenever bad. I see stuff, whenever I see people do that, I immediately think of Stanford Steve, and I just think of why. Like you, you needed to get that out of your car that quickly. Like you couldn't have that bag or that cup in there for one more second. You just got to toss it out the window. I really think littering's one of the dumbest things that you can do. It's pretty dumb because it's just so like if everybody. It's my whole point in society. Like. Sometimes my father will come to visit me when I still lived in Connecticut, and because he lives on Martha's Vineyard, he's just used to, whether it's like not in the summer, but he's just used to a slow pace. He's used to no traffic. He's used to being able to walk right up to the counter. Like my father does this annoying thing where he'll, when he used to shop for, he doesn't do it now, but when he's younger, if he was shopping for groceries, he would just, he wouldn't grab a cart. He would just slowly put things on the counter and then come back. So like the counter would be filling up on one side. And, you know, the people just look at him and be like, you know, if everybody did this, it would just be a free-for-all on the counter. And I would say that to him sometimes. I get older. I'd be like, hey, you know, we're trying to run a society here. If everybody littered, like if somebody right now litters, okay, is listening to this, they, they, you know you, you're a litterer, and I want you to unsubscribe. But if everybody did what you did, everywhere would suck. Everywhere would suck. If everybody just said, hey, I just finished my soda, plank. Oh, just finish, you know, just wipe my face off of these napkins. Right, I'm just going to toss this on the ground. Like, there's always a garbage can. There's always a garbage can eventually. Or just bring it with you. The other, thing I, the other thing I think about with Stanford Steve, too, is the, uh, what is it, the tapping on the bar for more beer for another drink? Like, he wouldn't be like, you know, he would, he would just be like, you know, awkwardly rude about it and just tap his glass on the table and be like, bartender. Yeah, yeah he's an aggressive. He's an aggressive. But now this is turning into too much of, this is turning too much into the anti-Stanford. No, but these are just things I think of, like from when you, from who's, from who's like, those are for some reason the only two things that I remember are he litters and he's rude to bartenders. Van Pelt just, or I think Stanford C said to me once, he was like, he, like some of the stuff, actually, I wonder if we can even redo it. You know, like I went back and looked at a couple of mailbags. I go, the way everybody freaks out about heightened sensitivity now, like I don't even know if you can talk about dating the way we used to talk about dating. So maybe we might have to screen that thing. Okay. Um, a couple more questions here. Best duo at ESPN other than SVP and Rosillo? Um, well, dude, it has to be, it has to be Tony and Wilbon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the by original. the way, those guys are better than we are. So 
I don't even know who would be in the running for that. I would put Scott and I up against a lot of duos, but I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say we're better than them. Um, bigger moment, celebrity basketball game appearance at the start of the new pod. Uh, definitely celebrity basketball game <laughs> <Yeah>. appearance. <laughs> but I sucked in that game, so I still regret it. From a writer's perspective, do you think Nick Nurse should give Drake some minutes in this series? That would be what a season, a show that did really well, like the first three seasons, and then they'd hire a new staff of writers in season four. They'd be like, let's just have Drake play. Drake signs a 10 day. Love yeah, it. Like he's doing really well with the, you know, yeah. with the audience. Like, write him in more. You're in Denver right now, ranked the ski towns, Breck, Keystone, Vale, etc. Aspen's number one. Aspen's better than Vale. I think Breck is better than Vale. I've never been to Keystone. Jackson Hole. Underrated. Uh, <laughs> why do keep people? Why do people keep saying should the Knicks trade pick three for eight and ten? The answer to that should always be no. Should always be no. Like between eight, nine, and ten, one of those guys is going to stink. Yeah, this isn't the NFL. Yeah, it just is. One of those guys will have a bad career. Uh, even the Drake thing. Some people are asking, like, what should the NBA do with Drake? So he said, y'all trash to Draymond. Uh, I, I don't even have a problem with that. I don't. I have a problem with the, the histrionics, the look at me stuff the whole time. And that could be classified as that. Even though I probably sound anti Drake, but this is what's happening. I'm becoming like a season eight anti Game of Thrones recap guy. Ugh. Season eight, the way people talked about it, I ended up sticking up for it probably more than I should have because I got tired of everybody saying it. So then I think the Drake stuff has been me becoming tired of the social media presence of anybody that's criticizing Drake doesn't get it. You're like, eh, actually no. Okay, I think that'll do it for us. So yeah, Monday, Scott and I are going to tape. I'll be back in Connecticut for that one. And then I'll tape another one probably, um, I don't know. I'm actually going to game four now uh, at Oracle and I'm going to do something with ESPN. So that... Is something new, a new development that just happened last night. So I'm kind of pumped about that. I've never been in the building. And I kept saying, like, I wanted to get up there during this playoff run to go see him uh, before they close that building. And it looks like I'm going to get my chance. So pumped. So that'll do it from Denver. <laughs>